This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. There he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. In the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, in the Mellon Law Studio, protected by crime prevention and sponsored by great people, uh, which we'll feature at the half of the hour on the spot cleaners, R&R construction, uh, style cuts, etc. And we always can use more sponsors. We are um, just, you know, basically keeping the show going for you. Uh, this is not a profit making deal, any means. And we have expenses to try to get two things for you. So we can bring you a great show like hopefully we're going to bring you today. Uh, let me see what we got here in terms of uh, Happy New Year's to everybody. I haven't seen you since New Year's and I uh, hope you had a good one. Um, we uh, uh, celebrated uh, by me eating too many cookies. That was my big deal. Good morning, Jim Murphy. Great, great patron of the show. Um, you know, there's a lot of things going on uh, since I slept, you know, if you will, which I'll bring you up to date on. Uh, a local, a lot of local things that are interests that you get here in depth. Um, of course, our good friends over at Electro Chronicle also cover a lot of local things, but um, they uh, basically write about them and we talk about them. So maybe the two supplement each other and hopefully uh, you get a good idea of what's going on that you wouldn't necessarily get out of the Gainesville sunset, if you know what I mean by the Gainesville sunset. Uh, bless their hearts. They just don't seem to have the, the ability to uh, find out what stories really matter. The <clears throat> an interesting, you know, I have to. I'm going to say this in a way that um, I'm not sure how tactful it would be. Uh, but, you know, I watched the game last night and I I watched the young man um, in the Bills uh, um, game with uh, Bengals, in case you didn't watch it. Uh, I knew right away that uh, what the deal was. Um, I know a lot about cardiac issues, and I knew right away that that young man has um, uh, basically uh, died on the field and could maybe be resuscitated. They worked on him, gave him, got him back. Um, the issue with something like that is how long your mind is, brain is deprived of oxygen and what kind of permanent damages are done, and if you could ever be brought back uh, uh, to, you know, a life. Uh, but, you know, this whole world of the NFL is um, pursued avidly and eagerly by so many young men who, in order to make it to that league, have to single-mindedly focus on getting there. And then the league rewards them quite often with an incredibly insane amount of money that, that uh, you wonder if it's justified, of course, if they're paying the players that much money, you can bet the league is making even more or they wouldn't be able to pay the, the players that amount of money. Um, and every once in a while, we have a, a an example of a football player going awry 
who um, really uh, doesn't know what to do with all that money and hasn't been prepared to handle it um, and uh, comes from a background that would not have um, been um, able to withstand the instant riches, so to speak. And we have a local fellow here who was a great player, uh, went to Miami, did not go to Florida, went to Gainesville High, though, and that's Clinton Portis. Uh, Clinton Portis, if I recall my numbers, um, had a $45 million contract with the team that was known then as the Washington Redskins. Of course, the title of today's show is To Wake or Not to Wake. And wokeism got a hold of Snyder, the owner of, of the uh, Redskins, and uh, made him eventually change it to now the Commanders. And now even the Commanders is under assault again because of its mascot, oh, pray tell. It looks as if it's a swine, a pig. Oh, my golly, my golly. Have they not seen the warthog at the beginning of the show? Um, anyway, uh, all this stuff uh, is all out there in our culture. And uh, Clinton Portis um, really uh, had an issue with um, um, his success, I guess is the way to put it. Um, the, uh, on, on September 2nd, uh, 2021, let me just take a sip of my uh, coffee here. On September 2nd, 2021, uh, Clinton Portis uh, pled guilty um, to conspiracy to commit health care fraud. Now, we got some other guys around town here who also got involved with this. They shall remain unnamed. Um, this particular instance here is about Clinton Portis. Uh, the, uh, the advisory range guidelines was from 10 to 16 months, uh, but the court sentenced Portis to, I've got the United States District Court paperwork right here in front of me. The court sentenced Portis to six months imprisonment, followed by a three-year period of supervised release. And uh, the uh, as a condition of his supervised release, the court ordered Portis uh, a, to complete a six-month term of home confinement. Now, uh, Portis has gone back to the court and argued that his condition of home confinement has significantly hindered his ability to earn a sufficient income. Now, here's this issue. He has, of course, the things that happen to guys uh, that don't discipline themselves in this world. Um, he uh, has child support. Um, he has done community volunteer work, so saith his attorney. Um, he's mentored young athletes, so saith his attorney, who's requesting that the court give uh, Clinton Portis a break. Um, he has uh, supposedly volunteered with programs assisting felons on reentry and all that kind of thing. And the big thing is um, uh, he's the sole provider for the teenage sons and uh, their one-year-old twins. And uh, the, his partner, that's the term in the court document, uh, was laid off and lost her mother. 
So this is a woebegone uh, description given to the court about why Portis needs to make money. Well, he had 45 million. And what happened to it? I guess he gambled it away. Now, it's pretty hard. I mean, if I had, I don't know what to tell you if, you know, this and that. But if you had 45 million, would you not have any now? Would you have to go to the court and beg to let them out of your house so you could get a job? Um, what he is asking the court to believe is that the Washington commanders and ESPN would hire him back and give him broadcasting opportunities if his home, if he wasn't confined to his house. So he's gotten a liar and he's gone before the court and asked the court to let him out of his house so he can go make money incredibly on the sideline as an announcer for the NFL after blowing 45 million. And the court here has listened to this and has reached a conclusion. And the conclusion that the court has reached uh, is that um, a modification of his supervised release, which would be basically letting him out of his house so that he could then go get a job on the sidelines, this would be the logic. Modification of Portis's supervised release is not warranted. So the court has denied his request for a modification of his release so he will stay at home under supervision and he will be there uh, until he has been allowed to uh, get back out of the house. And then the logic would be, um, therefore, he'd be able to go get a job. Well, his modification for release is set to his his release from his home is set to end on February second, uh, just a month away. So it's kind of strange that all this would be ramped up and given to the court to give him a month reprieve early when the NFL season is just about over. So if those numbers are right and those dates are right, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. But what makes less sense is how a young man, and he's not alone in this now, can take $45 million and blow it. Blow it. And there's lots of stories. I mean, there are guys here who got ripped off by their agents. It, it, it's unbelievable. So that's a local story I pass along. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of success stories. These guys come out, and quite a number of them will come out of the NFL with some money. And some of them won't come out with any. And some of them will be very, very much affected by the NFL, the most drastic of which was perhaps last night. But then we have the concussion protocols and all that, which are almost becoming routine. I don't know if you've picked up a football helmet lately, but it is basically a weapon. 
Uh, that thing is designed to protect the head of the man who wears it. But the head of the man who's hit with it might as well have been hit with a sledgehammer. So uh, this is all in the name of entertainment. And boy, or do we like being entertained by violence. It, it, it is the most attractive form of entertainment. And we got gladiators and, and all this kind of business, the Christians to the lions. Um, th this is nothing new. This is human beings. So that's one local story I thought you might be interested in. Uh, the other is we had a great report uh, by our own instigator, investigator, I call him, uh, our data researcher, the papers call him, Mark Glazier, on voting, voting irregularities. Voting irregularities. That way we're able to get around the, 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 the F-bomb, you know, uh, the voter beep. Uh, Y'all don't dare say the voter beep. So we say voter irregularities. Now, one of the things that's uh, interesting about what is beginning to happen is um, uh, it's, um, well, we've been working away at this now for quite a while. Um, I'm going to tell you just a summary right now of what is happening. And by the way, I'm going to put a number up on the, on the board here after a while. Uh, if you call it, it is going to be the voting irregularity hotline set up by the governor. And we have called it. And it is the weirdest thing we've heard. I mean, my golly, is it weird. And um, I'll get that number up for you in a little bit. And you can call it and listen to it. It's really strange. Um, uh, right now. We are um, kind of keeping tabs on all the work that we've done, and we've got to, I've got to get a summary here for you. Um, there, are, there are 24 hearings in six weeks in eight counties, um, and um, they're scheduled for this 2023. Let me go through a summary of it for you. Uh, in uh, January 4th, uh, and I'm going to go into detail on that one in a minute. In Duval County, there's going to be a sentencing. Um, that has been in the works for quite a while. Uh, January 5th, the state attorney is going to do a case management uh, 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 issue on, on, on one of these voting irregularities people that we found. Um, on Similarly, on January 5th, Palm Beach County is going to do an arraignment of one. And um, on January 6th, the statewide prosecutor is uh, going to try to round up uh, whatever they've got. The statewide prosecutor has run into a problem. The statewide prosecutor is being challenged in court as being a uh, uh, unable to prosecute what is found statewide because the elections are not held statewide. The elections are held by counties. So who should be prosecuting are the uh, state attorneys of those counties. Now, some state attorneys, you know, 
want to do it. Some don't. Some supervisors of elections want to turn it over. Some don't. That's interesting. And then so DeSantis forms a statewide election committee and finds out they can be challenged in court because they don't have statewide authority. What they have to do now looks like is that which is reported to the statewide election committee is then turned over to the respective supervisors who turn them over to the respective state attorneys or some form of that relationship. Now, the one I'm going to focus on here, it's going to happen over in Duval County. Uh, um, we turned over to the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office a year ago. And it was ignored by them. So we got it to the supervisor of elections in Jacksonville, a guy named Mike Hogan, who happens to be a Republican. And he turned it over to the state attorney. And it's going to be in court. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to that. This guy was a convicted felon. And he pled guilty to voter fraud. Oh, I said the word, voting irregularity. After the prosecutors received the information from Hogan and the prosecutors decided, yes, indeed, he this gentleman voted as a felon when he wasn't eligible. His name was Mark Crump, 54 years old. He was arrested in May of last year and charged with two counts of election B voting and obtaining a false registration. Now, according to the state attorney's office there, Crump will be adjudicated guilty and he's expected to be sentenced to 10 months in jail. But here's the interesting thing about this guy's record. He was convicted in 1993 of manslaughter in Alonzo County. And I believe that conviction was broken down to a lesser charge. Um, so he was convicted in 1993 of manslaughter. Then he was added to also the Florida Department of Law Enforcement's registered sex offenders database because he was convicted in 2004 of lewd lascivious molestation in Alachua County. I know the details of that. I'm not going to say it on the air. It's pretty gross. Very gross. This ain't a good guy. This is a very dangerous guy. So he was living in Jacksonville and he applied to vote a couple of years ago. And about a year after that, he applied for state assistance and he received a voter registration card in the mail. I kid you not. I kid you not. Then he says that about Two months later, he received a letter advising him that those voting rights were not valid. And he said, well, he never knew that. They gave him a card. 
Now, this guy's record is pretty heinous if you knew the details of it. Of course, they never do it. They blame it on somebody else. So he says he thought he had to write. So he votes early in the August 2020 primary. And he votes early in the November 2020 general election. And those votes count. You know, they don't take them back. Those, those votes count. And, of course, he was a registered Democrat. But you are. And also, when you look at it, the situation, he voted in Duval County in September 2004 and cast a ballot in the 2008 general election. But the statute of limitations has expired on that. So January 4th, he's going to be sentenced. There you go. There you go. Now, you see, the problem is, when you read all these general news comments, that uh, there are no statistical relevance to any of this, they don't have any idea. They, they have no idea how many more out there. This is a multi-time convicted felon. And it's taken low these many years to find it. And found by guess who? You know, it's amazing. We covered that with you. We covered that with you. It's amazing. Now, we've got a very dramatic case of this and going on here locally. And I'm going to spend a little time on it. I'll probably push back the bottom of the hour break so that I can cover this pretty thoroughly with you. We'll see how it goes. I've got about seven minutes to the bottom of the hour, maybe eight. But I think uh, I'm, I, may, I may run over a little bit. First of all, the individual I'm going to speak about now is not a newcomer to the news. And is not a newcomer to controversy. In fact, this person was removed by the governor for not living in a proper district as a school board candidate and replaced with Mildred Russell. And this person turns around and promptly gets herself elected again. I just want to tell you that I've probably got a stack of documents as thick as the New York City phone book, which no longer exists, I'm sure, or the Sears catalog, which I know no longer exists, that people have given me on this person and asked me to expose. Now, I know this individual. In fact, I had her scheduled to be interviewed when she was running for school board. 
And lo and behold, she cancels the interview with me, claiming that she had COVID. This came through a third party, not through her. And I know that I was told that the same time she canceled the Ward Scott Files interview, she was seen all over town being interviewed in person. My interview with her was going to be by Zoom. How do you get COVID over Zoom? So I, I, I just, you know, of course, that, that didn't pass the smell test. I just concluded she didn't want to be asked questions by me. I mean, I have been met in parking lots after, after dark and given documents on this person. But so far, I, I just, I, you know, everything else was going down. I didn't need to do that. You know, I mean, the governor, remo governor removed her, uh, this, that one, another. So I just sort of put it on the back burner. But now cometh before the public an actual plaintiff complaining about her. That's a little different. Now I'm covering a story that has been brought to the public view by a damaged person. And it is not dissimilar from what I have been led to believe was the case in some form or description all along with this character. And we're talking about Dion McGraw. Now, Dion McGraw, we've known for quite a while, owns, I don't know, several group homes. And one of the problems with these group homes is ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting is when you go in with a basket, empty, and you come out with a bunch of ballots that you take, you, the person who came in with a basket, you take to the supervisor elections and cast. This is one of the places where voting accountability is not very accountable. And this is the first time that I'm aware of in this community that there is a victim who's complained about it. Quite frequently, the ones who have cast a ballot, well, don't complain because they're not really sure quite many times what they did. So the plaintiff, if you will, the victim, if you will, or the complainer, is one 29-year-old Destin Collins. I want to applaud 
Jennifer Cabrera for writing about this very courageously in um, um, the Watcher uh, um, Chronicle because she was threatened by Dion McGraw. Now we know that Dion McGraw threatens people. Uh, we know that she has threatened reporters, kind of bullied them, and uh, tried to intimidate them. We do know also that her son was arrested. Um, that's another story, but it's related to the whole business here of public accountability as a public official. So this 29-year-old Destin Collins, who's a resident of one of Dion McGraw's group homes, registered to vote and voted in the 2020 primary election. But his mother, Milena Weems, says he's legally incompetent to vote. And she has said that McGraw knew that because it's specified in the court order that names Weems as Collins' guardian advocate. So all these things that have been given to me in the parking lots at night and all that, uh, voluminous documents, really, this is somebody who has standing. And so therefore, I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. And at the, after the bottom of the hour, I got somebody who wants to call in on it. Uh, we'll ask production to open a phone line after we do the weather. And uh, if the, uh, we'll, have, we'll listen to a caller who contacted me yesterday and wanted to talk about this. So Milano Reams told the Alacho Chronicle, Jennifer Cabrera, who, as I say, very courageously wrote about this, that her son was taken to a polling place and instruct, instructed to vote for Dion McGraw. Now, Jennifer is very responsible, just as we try to be responsible. We don't talk about things unless we've got documents to back it up. So you take this into account. Uh, The group manager filled out the ballot for this young man, but he was very clear that he knew he voted for McGraw. And Collins also told his mother he didn't vote in any other races on the ballot. And now the voter registration records, and we've got some of this stuff. We just haven't been using it yet. For the addresses of McGraw's group homes show that seven other people registered to vote all as Democrats. Uh, we don't know, and Jennifer doesn't know, whether these uh, people were prevented from voting for reasons of competency. And the, the group homes serve people with developmental disabilities, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not able to vote. Uh, some of them are, some of them aren't. So uh, this is a situation that has now come to the public's attention. And uh, 
we're going to keep looking at it and we're going to um, probably expand uh, uh, this based upon what we've been given uh, about um, uh, this relationship of uh, people voting. See, the, 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 the thing that doesn't pass the smell test is McGraw owns the homes and McGraw's tenants are voting for McGraw. And they're not supposed to be voting because they're not capable of knowing what they're doing in some cases. And this is the alleged trend, uh, uh, um, no, no here. So we'll keep that um, story in front of you. It's one of the voting irregularity stories. Uh, I'm going to ask production to put on the chat line, please, um, the phone number uh, at the bottom of the hour here. And we'll open up the line. We've got a call. And I'll, I'll entertain the conversation as long as it has something to contribute. Okay. And then we'll, if it doesn't have a lot to contribute, well, we'll move on. But we do want to give an opportunity for somebody who contacted me who wanted to talk about it. So we'll take our bottom of the hour break here now and be right back with the weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Word Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. 
No, James. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to War Scott Files. We're going to do the weather right now thanks to Lewis Oil, who claims she's only, I think, 29 years old. Bless her heart. Great friend, great supporter. And uh, by the way, I went to Style Cuts yesterday and got my ears set out. Can you see? I got a little bit of a haircut. Uh, my father always used to say, get your ears uh, set out or else go get yourself pleased up. That was his definition of a haircut was to get yourself pleased up. Um, anyway, 65 degrees here. We're going to be up to 80 today. My golly, can you believe it? I mean, come on. A week ago, we were burning firewood like crazy. But listen, in Europe, it's even worse. And everybody now who looks at these uh, weather shifts from the so-called uh, human-caused climate change fraternity and sorority say that the frequency and intensity of these extraordinary weather events is from, guess what? Climate change. And what they're pointing to right now is a wintertime heat dome in Europe. Now, the temperatures evidently there soared 18 to 36 degrees above normal from France to Western Russia. Thousands of records were broken between Saturday and Monday, many by large margins. Uh, this extreme warm spell followed a record warm year in many parts of Europe. And this is according to the climate change believers, uh, increasing the frequency and intensity of these extraordinary weather events. Um, and they point to the fact that uh, seven countries in, on New Year's Day saw their warmest January record weather on record. Uh, Latvia hit 52 degrees, Denmark 57.4, and on and on. And um, um, the climatologist who tracks these uh, weather extremes, they referred to these events as totally insane and absolute madness, madness. Um, and uh, that, there you are. It's, it's the most extreme weather event ever seen in Europe. Climatology, another one wrote. Nothing stands close to this. Now, the other said that this intensity and extent of warmth is hard to comprehend. So this is all if you are subscribing to this notion that exceptional weather changes uh, are a result of, guess what, uh, this thing known as climate change, which used to be called, oh, golly, what it was called, it was climate change, and I don't know, all kinds of different names. But it's basically the Arctic air moving around in places it's not generally known to be. There you are. That was my kind of weather report for today. Um, well, it's all due to what? I don't know, global warming? That's right. It used to be called global warming, and now it's called uh, climate change. Well, call-in line's open. I don't know if uh, my caller sees the number, uh, 352-707-9101. And, uh, okay, all right. Hello, Okay. Hello, Ward. Hello, Amanda. What's up, my man? So a couple things. I think it's first and foremost, it's courageous of, of Jennifer to have written the article, number one. I want to recognize Jennifer for that. 
I think a couple of things in the article uh, give me pause uh, is one is is that you have the APD, the Adult Protection Division for the state of Florida, which is a division of Florida, supposedly, or the or it's inferred that uh, McGraw has you know interconnections within there. So this is the licensing agency which licenses her group homes as to why they are not disciplining or anything. And the other one would be, I'm wondering why the plaintiff in this case did not go to DCF, which would be the correct place for her to go. So there's a lot of questions that I have there that I still think need to be fleshed out. But the thing that I'm really concerned about with McGraw is it always seems to be the same answer from her, no matter what happens. And it's the, the Mount Moriah two-step. It's, I don't know what happened and it's always somebody else did it. And I think that that's getting old. And I think for, for, for a lot of folks, I think it's time for the state delegation to look into why we have the Alachua County Sheriff's Office, i.e. our sheriff, and his investigative team, why are they not handling this when they're the law enforcement agency? And I've actually called into the sheriff's office. It is kind of like you get bounced around. You got to call this person. You got to call this person. Or they're going to call you back, and they never do. Um, but it's, it's disconcerting that we get, you know, it's always the same thing with the situation dealing with disadvantaged adults or developmentally challenged adults with McGraw. It's, I didn't do it. I know nothing about it. And Ward, if she's that far removed from her business, maybe she doesn't need to be in that business. Armando, let's take time out and let people uh, people know who you are. You you and I know each other, but how would you describe (laughs) yourself and your relationship to this issue, sir? So I'm a resident of East Gainesville. Um, Lived here 17, 18, 19 years now. Um, know, know the school board member pretty well. Um, there's, there's a lot of things. I did not vote for Diane McGraw in this past election. Um, I could not pull myself to do that. Um, very familiar. And to me, um, I was a school teacher at Buholtz, um, and developmentally challenged children become developmentally challenged adults. And it's, that, that's a problem. And Diane McGraw is a school board member over a lot of children in our school system who may be developmentally challenged or have issues. But in her group home, she, all of these folks that she's dealing with, who she makes a ton of money off, at least 30000 plus a month, are developmentally challenged adults. And that's a huge concern. Thank you for that. Now, in the article Jennifer wrote, she says that Weems told, um, uh, I think it was Jennifer's investigative bunch of, uh, that she met Perseum and McGraw in November 2022 and then submitted complaints to the uh, Florida APD. Um, and that she says that these requests to McGraw's company have gone unanswered. Do you think there is this how you you think there's some I think you alluded to it. There's some kind of turn the other uh, cheek or uh, turn look the other way. What I mean to say by the. Well. APD on McGraw? Is that what you're saying? You think it might be? Possibly, but but the thing that I have a question about that I don't think Jennifer really fleshed out that deserves more question is Ms. Weems needs the proper process is to first go to DCF, Department of Children and Families, to file that complaint. Now, the stuff that's going on with an APD, that probably needs to have investigation from somebody from the governor's office on down to look into what's going on at APD. But I don't know that she went to the correct place because APD only deals with licensing, licensing. So right. they, if, if she's in violation, that violation would come from DCF. 
And if she's got connections in DCF, that's even more concerning. I don't believe that she does. She probably does an APD. I don't know. That's not something I could really prove. I wouldn't know. And I don't want to speculate. But we deserve to have facts. And I think it's past time, Ward, that we, we need to have an investigation, a real investigation from the governor or somebody in some regard, not in her capacity as a school board member, but when it comes to what she's doing as a group home member, it's always, I don't know anything. And there's a lot of history here. There's people that are group managers at her own beating people. And it's, it's not okay. Well, it's interesting because we did get an email from this lady uh, who uh, subsequently uh, Jennifer interviewed. We did get the email it was a real pleading in a, in email because she was aware of the work that the Fort Scott Files and uh, Mark Glazier, we had done on what we call voting irregularity. So we did get this email and we looked at it and um, we realized, hey, this is a little bit different from what we've gotten in the past. So um, my feeling in answering your question or responding to your concern is that the lady as so many people are, are not real sophisticated about where to turn to. And in a way, she reached out to us because apparently she knows about the show and what we've been doing or somehow, some way, she reached out to us very desperately and very early. And uh, I suspect this is often the case of people. I get all kinds of, from really sophisticated people in the community wanting to know, geez, you know this, Armando, as well as anybody, well, let me see, can I vote for this person or not? And, <laughs> you know, they don't live in the city of Gainesville, but they think they might. I'm just using that as an example. They think they might be able to. And these people are not unsophisticated. You know what I mean? So I appreciate, yeah. uh, you know, what part could you play? Could you, as a, as a concerned citizen, particularly from the east side, well, what can you do? Let me, let me just say this. Let me just say this. A lot of it, first of all, it's allegedly, right, because I can't prove anything. My concern is you've got, she's got inroads of the state attorney's office. She's got inroads clearly at the sheriff's office. And it doesn't seem like this. She's like the, she's the George Santos of the Democratic Party <laughs> here locally. I mean, to me, Diane McGraw, it's, it's, it's always she has her employees doing it. So she could say plausible deniability. But guess what? If you're that far removed from people that are being beaten at your facility, why is she in that business? I'll tell you why she's in that business and why APD also may be covering for a ward is because she provides a very big service to the state of Florida. And she's really one of the only ones in this area that does it. So that's a huge reason why they may overlook things. But I think knowing, knowing that they the first lady of the state of Florida is passionate about developmentally challenged foster children, I think we need to deserve and protect these, these de developmentally challenged adults. And if somebody's got to step in and say enough, this is not a Republican issue. It's not a progressive issue or a conservative issue. It's a human issue. So well, I just want to leave with that. Thanks for calling in, Armando. And I do uh, uh, appreciate your concern. And thanks for calling, calling in the show. I uh, hear a couple of different issues. Thanks. The one that we would be concerned with is probably the voting, uh, the abuse of the um, uh, uh, the, oh, I believe she did that. Yeah, that would be another issue that would be taken up by the responsible uh, agency. Uh, but the voting is something we're in. Thank you very much for calling in. And uh, thank you. Appreciate you uh, listening uh, to the show. Well, that was um, that's really mom is very active. I, I would say he's an activist. But, you know, sometimes that has negative connotations. And sometimes, you know, it can be negative. But 
here I think there's a genuine concern. We've been listening to this um, um, sort of vaguely um, uh, as, uh, for quite a while. As I said, I've got a whole bunch of uh, documents that people have given me. And, um, you know, I, they were so voluminous, I didn't wait, quite frankly, didn't have the staff or anything to wade through them. And there was no, uh, nobody was standing until now. So that's, that's, um, uh, uh, that's a, a, an interesting call. We'll, uh, we'll uh, keep that uh, in mind. Uh, and actually, the line is open if somebody else wants to call in. Uh, that's fine. It's 352-707-9101. Uh, the other thing I wanted to give you uh, a, a follow-up on is something that we pressed the, uh, we did, we participated in this a while back. We pressed the federal government to look into this. And lo and behold, uh, when they looked into it, there, the accusations were so, and this concerns, concerns uh, Katrina Brown and Reggie Brown. They're not related, uh, but they were on the city council in Jacksonville. The city council in Jacksonville is huge because uh, Jacksonville takes up the whole county, Duval County. So uh, I think what that has resulted in is a combination county commission and city commission all wrapped up in something called the Jacksonville City Council. But anyway, uh, Katrina Brown and, and uh, Reggie Brown, we became known as Barbecue Brown because they uh, uh, borrowed, if you will, uh, uh, quite a bit of money. If my memory served me right, it was a quarter of a million dollars. Um, uh, no, it was more than that. Yes, this, this shows it the $411,000 obligation, uh, anyway, to start a bar 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 barbecue business. And there was not one bottle of barbecue sauce. I apologize, I love saying that. There was not one bottle of barbecue brown barbecue sauce ever bottled. And who knows where the money went. But, um, you know, they got caught, they went to the jug and, um, um, Katrina Brown was released a few months ago, and um, she is um, uh, uh, been on confinement, home confinement, and uh, she was originally scheduled to be locked up, if you will, until June 1st, 2023, um, when she reported to the Federal Correctional Institution in Sumter County in January 2021 to begin serving her 33-month sentence. Um, so Brown entered prison after being convicted in October 2019 of 37 criminal counts dominated by mail and wire fraud. Uh, the charges centered on payments she received from a small business, business loan and a city grant to open a factory producing, are you ready for this? Jerome Brown barbecue sauce. And uh, this was supposed to be a staple of her family's North Side restaurant for retail sale. Um, as we say, uh, her fellow council member, Reggie Brown, they're not related, was indicted uh, along with her in 2018. And he was released in January uh, from FCI Jessup in Wayne County, Georgia. Um, I'm not sure what January that was, uh, maybe just now. But he has returned, he had, he returned, well, last January, I think. He returned, since he went in a, a year earlier, he returned to court 
to ask a federal judge to reconsider an order letting authorities seize his home to help settle a $411,000 obligation. And uh, that was rejected. So he lost his home. You know, Clinton Portis had a nice home, painted purple out here on Monioka Road, right down the road from Rodney Long. Well, 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 well. Uh, to wake or not to wake? Did you know? Did you know that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit has ruled that separating bathrooms based on sex doesn't, and that's not the kind of sex, you know, for pole dancing. Huh? Ha, ha, ha. Based upon sex as a genetic marker, they should have written, doesn't violate the Constitution or Title IX. And this is in, of course, Alabama, but We've got a case, Adams versus School Board of St. John's County, what, over whether or not St. John's County School Board in Florida violated a transgender student's rights by prohibiting the student, a biological female who identifies as a boy, from using the boy's bathroom. Well, there you go. This is woke or not to wake, huh? But judge, this judge in this case said, Separating school bathrooms based on biological sex passes constitutional muster and comports with Title IX. Huh? And the school's policy on the bathroom use is based on biological sex. Or, as Sue Baird always says, look down and see what you got. I don't know if that work anymore, but um, certainly on the birth certificate, you must be, for medical reasons, accurately described or consequently, subsequently in your move through adolescence and adult life and have medical issues, the true gen gen uh, 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 gen uh, identity will need to be known. So of the 40,000 students who attend this school district that this was um, uh, decided, only 16, are you ready, my friends? Identified as transgender. So what are we talking about? I haven't got my computer calculator out, but 16 of 40,000 means you got to change it. And listen, you go over to the University of Florida, exact tech center, they've got a unisex Bathroom there. Hey, there you go. So the court noted that Adams possessed a female's body anatomy. And in arguing that the school didn't violate the rights of transgender students, the court documented the school's many attempts to accommodate LGBTQWXYZ students. So uh, we'll see. This is a... Um, 
uh, can be appealed and it'll work its way. God knows it'll work its way off. As if we didn't have pressing issues, uh, we have to we have to look at this. Huh? I've got what time? 9.56. Oh, boy. There's more to this story uh, to tell. But I'll probably continue with this a little bit tomorrow. I don't know if I'll get this in now, but let me ask you. Let me just tell you something. The United States Marine Corps has replaced, as I understand it, Yes, sir. Which are called gender identifiers. And now that there are females in Marines, that's a whole other issue. Yes, ma'am. They have replaced those with gender neutral language. Oh. The only way I got through military school, I've told you, was my father told me. If I was accused of crossing the line I shouldn't have crossed, I didn't try to justify crossing it. I didn't try to say I didn't know there was a line, I'm sorry, or anything like that. My only reply, my father said, I should ever make is no excuse, sir. Now, I went to an all-male military school. We did not have, I don't know what I would have done. I don't think I, I don't think I, I don't think my father would have sent me to a, a co-ed military school, but that's what there is now. But as if it's not, you know, if, if that were not enough, and we were a Spartan outfit, now we have to take into account fluidity and sexuality, I guess. In the Marines of all places. Because the woke want equality. There is no equality in the Marines. There is no equality in military school. There is rank. It's all about rank. It's all about earning command. There's no such thing as misgendered. There is now. In the United States Marines, there is now. I'm going to quit with that. I got something I could cover in the schools too, but good. I'll probably do it tomorrow. Probably do it tomorrow. No excuse, sir. And I survived. I only was on the beat. I was only on the bull ring one time. For one PT, one penalty too, in my entire two-year stay there. Buddy, I was terrified of the bull ring. Well, those cadet first sergeants marching, they were, they could really kick your butt. You had tremendous respect for them or you were out there forever. And that was not the place you wanted to be. Warhol Command Center out.